0: Selamat datang I'm Alan Hallowell, and this is Indotechno. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 7 of the Indotechno Podcast. Now, my involvement with Indonesia began in earnest roughly six or seven years ago as Chief Strategy Officer of C Limited. I started meeting with the management team of what is now Indonesia's leading coffee chain, Kopikanangan, back in 2018, when the company was less than a year old. I must completely admit, while acknowledging what dynamic risk-takers co-founders Edward Certinata and James Fernando were, I saw very slim prospects for success in a market which I thought was already saturated with coffee options. My, how those intervening years have proved me profoundly wrong, and how frankly pleased I am. To have carried such erroneous assumptions, Kopikanangan, as many know, is one of Indonesia's most successful startups and one of its most beloved brands. The company has leveraged its leadership into a number of new directions, from product portfolio expansion and overseas market entrance to the formation of a venture capital arm. Today, we're very pleased to have join us, James Sananto, co-founder and chief business development officer of the company, and also founding partner of Kopital Ventures, to discuss these new paths. Thanks for coming on the show, James. Hey, Alan, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So James, I'm going to just take it from the top. What are the origins of you collaborating with your fellow co-founder at Kopi Kanangan, Edward Tertanata?
1: So That was an interesting story. Me and Ed, we are friends in high school. We've gone to states to do our universities. When we got back to Indonesia, we actually didn't work together. But then in 2017, there was this craze of coffee, milk, and pump sugar, which right now, I think you would say it's like the Indonesian style of drinking coffee. So it was a new product to the market. So when that happened, me and Ed, we saw an opportunity in the coffee market. And as we studied more, we realized there was a missing gap in the coffee market, which was prior to 2017, if we see all the coffee shops in Indonesia, most of them are like your. Big stores format, like 150, 200 meters, high capex, high opex, I And mean, most of them are global brand. So we realized at that moment that there was a missing gap in affordable coffee, coffee that's uh, five. because at that time, the coffee that was available in the mass market was either your global brands at $3, $4 or your RTD drinks or sachet coffee at maybe 50 cents. So right off the bat, we realized there's a gap in the coffee market for affordable Coffee. So that's why we decided to start Coffee
0: So I had the pleasure of meeting you guys a year into it. What are your recollections of that first year before I had the pleasure of meeting you? What was that kind of first 12-month period like in starting the company?
1: Honestly, it was interesting because when we started Coffee we never thought of it as a startup because, again, it's a coffee company, right? We thought about a business model, but we never thought about it as a startup. But then we realized some of the VCs are coming to us. And then we are say, you know what, maybe we have something here. And then what we realized is, even though it is not the traditional startup in a sense, because again, startup usually you talk about like maybe e-commerce, OTAs, those kind of things. But we realized that there was the spirit of a rapidly growing startup in coffee Canal. And it's as simple as reason as we disrupted the business model. Again, we're coming up with a new business model, which is a coffee shop can be a grab-and-go, small format. Our first store was only like 10, 15 meters, which is like probably a 10 of what the usual coffee shop was. So in terms of expansion, of growth, it can be really quick. Because again, making a store is cheaper, finding manpower is easier, and the capital is also much, much smaller.
0: Got you. So you came into the smallest of entry points and have since crowbarred your way into a dominant position in the market. I want to ask you more of a subjective, or as they say, a touchy-feely question. How do you guys, that is you, and Ed coalesce and complement each other?
1: Honestly, we do have a bit of a different personality. I think Ed, we met him, he's more going 100 miles an hour. Whereas me, I'm more a wait-and-see approach. So I think that's how we balance it. He will have all these ideas. I'm just trying to find, okay, if I have to be the devil's advocate, what would it be? So just trying to find that balance between us. Got
0: you. Now, as I mentioned in my introductory remarks, You guys, Kopikanangan, stormed onto what seemed to be an already hyper competitive copy industry in Indonesia to become the industry's first unicorn. And you guys clearly haven't looked back. What major accomplishments can we attribute this unique success in such a crowded segment? And I'm going to tell you right now, I will not accept luck. You're known for your humility. I'm wondering what. Critical decisions or skill sets you thought were invaluable in accounting for the
1: success? Uh, I think one of them you, you just mentioned A luck and timing, I think it's one thing. But then honestly, if I look back, probably one of the driving factors was we start again, as I mentioned earlier, we started this company because we wanted to make a good coffee shop, right? It is a product driven and it is a customer-driven company. So based on that. We truly run it like a profitable business, something that we want to scale. So it's not really run. Like recently, if you see some of the startups, I think they just run it for the wrong reason, which is to fundraise, to fundraise, and then maybe to flip it. In the beginning, we really didn't have any ideas of fundraising. It's truly like, oh, we have this money that we want to use for a coffee shop. We have a good product, which until today, just for reference, it is our hero product. Is still like 50% of our sale. It's truly really that. Again, with FNV, you has to be a product-driven company.
0: Yeah, I have to say, most of my recollections of you guys are that you were constantly gutting it out and really wanting to create a champion consumer product, which I guess is quite easy to envision and to talk about, but to realize it's tough. I understand what you're saying. Now, what were the toughest days that you guys encountered in growing Kopikanangan?
1: Honestly, for me, the toughest day was probably right before we received our first funding, because that's at the stage where we have a bit of traction. But then when we want to grow, we meet with landlords, we meet with vendors. They don't really look at us. So it was really tough for us to convince them to give us a chance. A good example to get locations in malls, usually they only want to deal with a big brand. But at the same time, we want to be in the malls because we want to prove that our model works. So it was really hard for us to get connections in the ball. And even when we do get connections, don't really give us a chance. So we had to find a way to, for example, like one of the locations that we got was a prime location, but we were only able to get it because we come up with a new concept. We are collaborating with a certain brand to make the location concept interesting. But if it just copy at that time going in, they wouldn't have that. Either. So that was one, that was one of the hardest part. And then secondly, probably. Not the hardest part but an interesting part was hiring people because once we started getting uh, our funding now we want to switch from like your mom and pop into a proper startup a proper for the lack of better word corporation so finding people we can find people but then how to convince them to us that is a different thing right so i think that was also one of the hardest part in the beginning of our journey
0: yeah to your first point sounds like you had really a chicken and egg conundrum dealing with all of the old school parts, of the ecosystem, such as the landlords, you mentioned the mall owners, and that venture funding was quite catalytic to you. So you guys now have a venture arm. Tell us about the genesis of Copital Ventures.
1: In 2020, me, Ab, Chris, Chef Sutardi, three of us, and a few of my friends, including Fundi, which become one of the founding partners of uh, Capital Ventures, we decided to do angel investment. Chris has done it almost 10 years. But then the rest of us, we just started in 2020. So in 2020, until 2022, we raised from friends and families, really an informal fund. So we invested in probably 20 to 30 companies in Indonesia, both within the friends and family vehicle and on a personal level. So what I came to realize is I really love the ecosystem because again, I think I said this to Andy before, I said to him in 2017, if there were prominent Indonesian founders that wanted to invest in Kopi Kenangan, I probably would have loved to have them. Just because you're starting a business and then suddenly you're meeting all these VCs with all these different sheep, you don't even really know what's coming at you, right? So I thought if there were like someone able to guide us, it would be interesting. So with that kind of mindset, again, I love the dynamics of the industry, just meeting like new people, learning new industries. In a sense, it's for me to give back to the community itself to grow the Indonesian therapy ecosystem. That's why last year in 2022, me and Fandi, we decided to talk, hey, you know what? We've done a lot of good investment. We do have some good exit. We have good bill flows. Why don't we make something formal out of it? And that's why in the past six, nine months, we raised from multiple LPs. We had our first close in September.
0: Got you. Now, with regard to connections, I noticed that your fellow founding partner at Kopital Ventures, whom you just referenced, Fandi, I think he did his undergraduate studies at Northeastern University in Boston. Did he overlap with Ed Turtinata? Because
1: I believe Ed is an alumnus of Northeastern. Honestly, I don't know, <laughs> but I get to know Pandi from Ed, so I've known Fundy since 2017, and that was to Ed. Yeah,
0: gotcha. My son is a sophomore at Northeastern. I see. It's a small world now. You announced a first close of $12 million in October. What further fundraising are you targeting? And what do you see as the longer-term evolution of Kopital?
1: In terms of the fund size, what's funny, Alan, we always wanted a small fund because we appreciate the fund. We all actually wanted a small fund. We don't want to be pushed to deploy for the sake of deploying. So initially, we wanted to raise five admin then 10. And then now, as mentioned, it's 12, but then now we really have a hard cap at 15. Since the announcement, we do have additional LT. We are close to our hard cap right now. Moving forward, honestly, we're still new guys in town, but then at least the way we see it is we don't want the fun to go so big. Say, for example, tomorrow I can raise at 100. I probably won't do it. I would only do it if I believe I can deploy it. We like to keep the fun at a size that we feel we are nimble enough. We feel that we can deploy in the companies. Understood. Well,
0: I admire that discipline. I'm sure you've also noticed that over the past 10 or 15 years, there's been a very steady fund inflation amongst VC funds that at the outset insisted that they were really super early stage to each his own. But I find that the most challenging and rewarding elements of venture investing begin at the very earliest days. Now... I guess a basic question for you, what gap in the VC market are we seeking to fill at Copital Ventures?
1: I think multiple gaps. One, as you mentioned, is just getting bigger. We're looking at the local funds getting to hundreds of million. There will be a gap where the seed or pre-seed guys will not be served by them, right? Because they're just too small. So I think that's one that we want to fill the gap in, which is like the pre-seed guys. And then secondly, I think goes back again to why I started this. Which is, there's a lot of funds right now. You have a good business idea, so you probably can get any kind of funding. We found that what's missing is having the access to either successful founders or successful executives from the in- Indonesian startup ecosystem. That's one of the genesis of capital. Essentially, we started as an informal network, probably about 30 to 40 people of startup founders, executives, or even some local family offices. We shared deals within that group. With capital, I think that's why our portfolio really values. One, they're able to talk with founders on their fundraising journey or even some operational challenges. Might not be in the same industry, but then it can be parallel. And of course, just the access to uh, all these great people. So you mentioned capital
0: network. Is there a formal process or regular set of interactions between Copital Network and Copital Ventures? Is there a describable relationship between the two?
1: There is no formal relationship. Copital Ventures don't usually pick full allocation. In fact, we rarely lead. We do one a co-lead. And then usually we have a small allocation that we try to have from the portfolio to offer to angel. So, the way we see it is we just got maybe like 20 to 50,000 allocation. And then we offer it to angels in the capital network that we feel can add value to portfolio. Sometimes we even show the list to our portfolio. And then it's like, hey, you know what? We have these 40 guys. Just look at their names, just pick it up, and then we'll connect you with them.
0: Understood. Now, this next question, forgive me for sounding cynical, but I hear a lot of pat answers and answers which sometimes in discussing and chatting with the founders that these guys invest in don't really happen regularly. But what unique value additive connections, activities, services, et cetera, have we consistently delivered on at Propital Capital? What defines us in terms of value add?
1: Honestly, I would say it's the amount of time that we spend with the founders. Honestly, that's the most value add that we give. Again, not necessarily in any particular subject. As, as I mentioned, each founder has a different need, right? Some may be just an introduction. Some need guidance for fundraising. Some need to talk about strategizing. But then just because it's our first farm, again, we have this responsibility that every deal that we do, we want to be successful. That's why we spend a lot of time with our founders. I think if you talk with our portfolio across the board, they will tell you that we, we do talk a lot with them
0: that obviously ties back nicely to the insistence on staying early stage and not growing too quickly so that you have so many portfolio investments that you can't remember the names of some of the executives. Now, I guess I'm not aware of anyone in Indonesia with anywhere similar a mission or focus to what you guys are doing. So is there a fund globally that most resembles us?
1: We do look at the global fund. I would say that one that we try to find inspiration is Benchmark from the US. Just because they've been really successful, I mean, some of the investment, for example, like eBay, Uber, Dropbox, Snapchat, and many more, they've been really successful. But then even with their success, I think they have that discipline to make the fund not too big. Since I think they started in 1995 and until today, they probably only raised 2 billion. I think they could have raised more. And then, of course, the way the partner works, I believe it's six Equal general partners, they almost have no generic investment staff. So to make sure that the GP actually works with the company that they back, they see their investment. They invest, I wouldn't say very early, but then quite early. For example, I mean, eBay, they invested 6.7 million for 22% of the company. It became 5 billion for them. I think Uber, they run in at probably 11 million or 11% stake. That's the guy that we try to emulate. It's not the perfect example, but then that's where we want ourselves to be.
0: What a very interesting comparison, but one that makes sense from what I know of that fund. And the guys at Benchmark are legendary for their intimate interaction with founders, which again, you referenced as one of your priorities at Copital Capital. Now... Another basic question for you. What are our target verticals?
1: Honestly, we're sector agnostic. I would say that. Again, we're an Indonesian-focused fund, right? So some of the areas that we look at is consumers, just because Indonesia is always being a consumer story, right? Consumers is an interesting area for us. And secondly, I wouldn't say a full tech play. I would look for how tech enabled will help certain industries. Because again, in Indonesia, I feel like a full-tech play, it's just hard. Just because we, I don't think we have the manpower and the human resources. Even if you see some of the big guys, when they have the engineers, it's not going to be. <laughs> Usually they outsource it, right? So I feel to make a full-tech play, it's very tough in Indonesia. And then from a consumer perspective, if you see SaaS in Indonesia, you make it, you give it for free. Everyone uses it. Once you start charging, no one will use it anymore. So I don't really believe in SaaS and full-tech play. I believe more in how tech enables the traditional industries in Indonesia. So I think those are some of the areas that we will look at.
0: That first point being Indonesia's scarcity in technical talent and HR resources in general, that is indeed a topic we hit upon constantly on the InnoTechno podcast. Now I have to remind myself, you remain chief business development officer at Kopikanangan. So how do you divide your time between Kopikanangan
1: Kanangan and Kropi Right now, my title is the co-CEO of Indonesian operation. How do I divide my time now? Again, remember, Alan, I, in the beginning, I said about hiring. So honestly, I think it's advice for every founder. Once you hit some scale, hiring becomes a priority, actually. Hiring good people. Previously, I worked as a professional dealing with HR. Sometimes you, you just deal with your salary and those kind of things. You don't really feel value in <laughs> that. But then starting your own company, you do feel value in HR. We have hired good people, honestly, in the last four years. In late 2021, we hired a group CEO. He was the CEO of Burger King APAC. And prior to that, he was the director of Starbucks China. He actually runs the day to day operation. Essentially, my role now, I'm more on advisory level, but then the day-to-day is handled by this guy. So that's how I'm able to divide my time between Kopital and uh, Kopi. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: I assume that there was the need to do a lot of backfilling for the blood, sweat, and tears work that I know you were involved in the early days. Now, going back to Kopital, we've noticed a slowdown in deal activity in Indonesia.
1: What is your take on this we do see a slowdown i don't know about the other guys but then for me i feel there's a a bit of a pickup in the last three four months it is somewhat better than in 2022 because i think at 2022 2021 what happened was people were just raising a record fund so we see a lot of founders that come up just because they know they can raise not necessarily because the business is there But then I think in the last three four months we've been looking at companies where the founders have started to do the groundwork and not raising just purely on deck, and then I think they're raising for the right reasons. That's how we see it in the past few months.
0: Understood. Now, having sharpened your teeth as an entrepreneur, and now spending a large part of your time investing in Indonesian entrepreneurs, how has that entrepreneur
1: evolved in your mind since the early days? I think. Now, we see more daring entrepreneurs, honestly. When we raised in 2017, it was uncommon for so-called non-tech company to raise. Previously, I think when people wanted to raise from VCs, it has to be like a full-tech internet company. But then now we see a lot of entrepreneurs, founders that have good ideas. They know the ideas can kind of scale a lot, and then they just have a belief in themselves. I think that was the one thing that we didn't really see. Maybe it's because of Indonesian culture, how Indonesia they're more shy. I think previously it was like that, but then now I think they dare more to actually start something, they are more to actually fail. That's what I see in interpersonal
0: Indonesia. So risk appetite is on the rise. Now, James, you've spent a number of years overseas, particularly on the U.S. West Coast. What further development
1: would you hope to see in Indonesia's next generation of entrepreneurs? I would like them to try to solve bigger problems. Because we do see founders where they have an idea, but then they don't think big enough. Sometimes they're afraid to think big enough. Whereas if you see the startups in the U.S., for example, like AI, it's not really something (laughs) that Indonesia will think about, right? It's more like the U.S. So I think we're missing the big ideas. We always follow what's trending in the U.S. and the Western countries. So we always follow, right? The dream is for Indonesia to dream bigger.
0: That's a really interesting point. I do have to say, I've personally become increasingly emboldened by some of the entrepreneurial efforts in areas such as agritech and aquatech. Let's be honest, a lot of it is because the economy still has a significant component in those areas, but there's some phenomenal entrepreneurial energy being applied there and some very fast growing companies that we're seeing as a result. Now, James, we've really just focused on two professional hats that you wear, and I assume that there are yet others. But my big picture question, are you able to find balance between work, family, and other aspects of your life? And if so, what is necessary to strike that
1: balance? That's a good question, Alan. I'm honestly blessed that I'm able to do this multiple things and then still have time for my family. Honestly, if you ask me, it's as simple as prioritization, right? Say, for example, you have a day block meeting and then suddenly there's an urgent meeting. You always make time for that. I think uh, the same thing with uh, family too, right? I think it's just prioritization. Okay, I need to spend this time with my family. And then probably just spend a longer time, a longer day in the office. So it's just a really prioritization for me. Yeah, I think
0: you were initially referring to what we call the tyranny of the urgent, there is always something urgent, honey, just wait, I didn't need to take this call, I need to finish this SMS. And without some discipline prioritization, it becomes a tyranny, it overtakes you. James, just so great to be able to catch up with you. Most of our interactions over the years, as you probably recall, have been conducted across loud bars and restaurants in Jakarta. So it's a personal treat to get one-on-one time with you. Really appreciate the discussion about Kopi Kanangans storied evolution, and also your newer additional gift, building the Capital portfolio. Thanks again for joining us.
1: Thank you, Alan. I really appreciate to be in the podcast. Hopefully, we can get a Kopital name and, of course, Kopikanaga memes out there more. It will indeed, I hope. We hope
0: our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Endotechna podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi.